Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everyone, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to week 185 and video episode number 11 of 4T, the Thursday throwback track. Every week I take a release from my collection, I discuss it, I give you my take on it, I throw in some history and a bunch of other crazy stuff and talk about how it has influenced my music in the hopes that we can discuss, damn it. Uh, this week, uh, the topic in general uh, is uh, women in rock. Uh, we're talking about that through the album that you're hearing behind me, um, The 10,000 Maniacs in My Tribe. See, take a picture. Uh, you guys remember Lilith Fair uh, from the 1990s? Um, it, it was very representative of the 1990s as a whole. I mean, certainly in, in terms of music and, and movements and, and that, everything was a festival back then. Um, but also because it was something that occurred in the 90s that back then everyone uh, who was into it thought, well, this was the first time that anything like this uh, has ever come to the forefront. In this case, the, you know, the issue of giving women in rock more respect and, and, uh, and, and venues and honor and things like that. Um, and look, I loved the 1990s. I loved the music. I loved living in it. Uh, there was so much about it that I, you know, I, I loved watching the internet develop, you know, as it did and things like that. Um, and I'm not knocking any of the amazing developments that happened in the 1990s, but as with everything in history, first of all, every generation thinks that they're the first ones to do something. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, what we see is that those were important growth steps, but they pale in comparison to what has come after. And that's certainly the case with women in rock. You, you, you know, you think about Brandi Carlisle and people like that who are out now just killing it and fighting for, you know, even Taylor Swift in a certain way, although, you know, I'm going to give her more of a pop, uh, uh, you know, uh, tag. Um, fighting for the right for, you know, women to be well represented and respected and financially respected, you know. Uh, so the strides, and, and there's a longer way to go, of course. It's not over, but there have been great strides uh, that far surpassed what happened um, with Lilith Fair. And, uh, and the other thing that we forget is that the time when an issue comes to the forefront is not the first time that issue has, has existed or been fought for. So... You know, uh, Little Fair is famous for, you know, kind of making women in rock, folk, pop, um, more popular and uh, giving them more press and more places to play and things like that. 
But let's not forget that there were women in, in, in rock long before that, from the very beginning, really. You know, women in pop, women in R&B, even women in country had been getting their due in certain ways for a while. Maybe, you know, not the share of the profits they deserved or, you know, uh, the, the power or control of their own records, which is the case for so many musicians, but I'm sure doubly the case uh, for, for women in rock and, and minorities. Um, but at least as far as popularity went, people like Madonna, Diana Ross, Dolly Parton, you know, uh, Aretha Franklin, were all getting their, their due. But women in rock for the longest time were considered kind of a novelty, uh, kind of a, an also-ran, uh, something, uh, an afterthought even. Uh, that even happened uh, to the Go-Go's. As a matter of fact, there's a documentary coming out on them that's supposed to be really good, and they talk about how, you know, when the record company saw them, they were like, oh yeah, that's cute, you know, and kind of dismissed them and had no idea where they would go. Um, but go back even further, you know, in, in terms of, you know, rock and then folk rock and all of that, and you talk about people like Carole King, and I'm looking at my notes now, and Joni Mitchell, uh, uh, of course, you know, Patti Smith, uh, Stevie Nicks, Christy McVie. Uh, I liked uh, Child of the 80s, Pat Benatar, and Joan Jett, uh, and Chrissy Hine, even, of The Pretenders. I loved The Bangles, loved them, and, uh, and The Go-Go's uh, to a large extent. And I had, you know, kind of a secret thing for Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees and all those, uh, you know... Uh, the goth stuff uh, and don't even get me started on the riot girls in the 90s and hole and the breeders and all of that that's really where I started to just you know embrace all kinds of women in rock l7 and you know Sleater Kinney later on and things like that and again this this not only continued to this day but you know it's thrived um, uh, you know I guess Heim, you know, is considered a, a band like that. We don't know that much about them. But the point is, uh, like with any issue, uh, these things have existed long before they became popular and continue to exist long after the, you know, the, the popularity fire has died out. And thankfully, it's, uh, it's been rekindled and has blown up in a way that uh, it always should have, you know, today. Um, for me, this album... You know, it was one of two uh, artists, uh, female artists in the late 1980s that were provided antidotes for the other things I was listening to, like classic rock and hip-hop and uh, big 80s bands like In Excess and U2. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always looking for, uh, you know, diversity in music, not just because I'm a musician and I like that, but also because, you know... Uh, sometimes I'm in the mood for metal, sometimes I'm in the mood for jazz or classical or something like that. You, if you limit yourself to just one kind of music, you're limiting so much of both your outer and your inner expression. And so for this it was, you know, music like this uh, it presented another perspective, uh, both lyrically, um, you know, certainly gender-wise, and, uh, and of course musically. Uh, and, and so it was... The, the two, you know, people in the 80s uh, that meant that to me were uh, Edie Brickell and New Bohemians, their first album I played over and over and over, uh, and Natalie Merchant of 10,000 Maniacs. Um, this album here 
was actually, I believe, their third album, but it was the first to gain widespread recognition, mostly for that first song you heard, uh, What's the Matter Here, a song that's coming up. I don't know if we'll get to it, but please look it up. It's called Like the Weather. It's my favorite track on the album. And their cover of the Cat Stevens song, Peace Train. Uh, and, of course, the main showcase, the band, uh, was Natalie Merchant herself for her, for her vocals, uh, for her songwriting skills. And, and really also for her ability to choose cover tunes and own them in a certain way. Uh, all of which continued through 10,000 Maniacs career, Natalie Merchant's solar career, as you know, they and she got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was the next two albums that really, you know, thrust them into the stratosphere. The next album had the hit uh, Trouble Me, which is probably might be my favorite song of theirs. Uh, and then the album after that was These Are Days, which in the 90s was played on alternative rock stations over and over, along with so many other awesome songs. Uh, worthily so, uh, if that's a word. And then, of course, all of Natalie Merchant's uh, solo work, uh, which, you know, was popular in late 90s, early O's a little bit. Hey, there it is. Like the weather. Just give me a couple seconds here. I don't know. I don't know why I love it so much. Um, you know, and so like with all music that I've absorbed, this kind of music really sank into me. And, uh, you know, there have been plenty of times in my history where I have uh, written mellow songs. Um, it may not be my calling card, but it's, it's, you know, something that I like to and need to do uh, uh, frequently enough to provide another form of expression, another way of letting lyrics unfold and things like that. You can hear that to this day on, on you know, my recent song, Final Call, uh, or even The Garden, which is a weird song, but it has that kind of vibe to it. Um, but you can hear it most prominently in an EP I released in the mid-90s called Black Eyed Susan, especially on the title track and on the opening track of that EP, Higher Ground Again. Uh, you can hear the entire EP on SoundCloud. And of course, as always, I provide the link there. I, I urge you to listen to those two songs, Black Eyed Susan and Higher Ground. Again, listen to the whole EP if you want to. Look up Final Call um, on, on, uh, also on SoundCloud. Look up The Garden on my recarea.bandcamp.com. Uh, and please comment on them. Do you like them? Do you not like them? I don't care. Just tell me what you're thinking. Uh, how you're feeling, uh, click the link on this album here, learn more about it, learn more about 10,000 Maniacs and Natalie Merchant, learn more about Lilith Farrell, learn more about women in rock, there's some great articles out there, uh, and uh, read the variation script that I have here, as always, uh, and then discuss, 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 because, you know, my again, as always, my objective is a conversation and connection through music. Uh, who are your favorite women in rock? Is a good discussion point. <laughs> um, from any era. Who are your favorite women in music in general? Uh, discuss, damn it. Thanks again for watching, for listening, for reading, for clicking, for sharing, for all of that. And I will see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.